Oh, praise God. What a great hymn to bring us into our message this morning. Jesus, Saviour, reigns. And that's something that the governments of this earth have no problem with us singing inside church. That Jesus is Lord, that he reigns. But they don't want us to say it outside the church. It's all right in here within the four walls to talk about Jesus reigning. Because to them it's a kind of kumbaya, you know, Michael rode the boat ashore, castles of the sky kingdom. And we're all just, you know, playing our guitars and singing our songs, wearing our Jesus sandals. But it's not real out there. But when we begin to apply what God's word says to earthly things, like John Knox did and many others, when we begin to say, no, it's... It's supposed to touch every part of society. Then uh, they don't like it. And that's why they tried to close the voice of the church during recent times. And that's why we praise God that when it went to court, they were given a bloody nose. And we're not anti-government. And they're not anti-law and order. And it's dangerous for people, or Christian people, to start being anarchists when it comes to government and just constantly abusing those in power because we're not rebels amen and there's nobody more law and order minded or more government pro-government than christians because government is god's idea and so the little bit of that will touch our message today because it was in psalm 85 and i believe this morning that psalm 85 the lord is speaking to the nation, of course, he's speaking to the nation of Israel, uh, as we see here, but it really touches our nation because we are uh, a Christian nation, we're the people of the book, this is the book that is the foundation of our nation, so if it applies to ancient Israel, then it applies to Israel, Britain. So it says, Lord, thou hast been favourable unto thy land, or well pleased. Now, let's be honest, we've not given the Lord as a nation much to be well pleased of in recent times. But we thank God that mercy rejoices over judgment. I remember, uh, as a friend of mine, um, a man I've been friends with for many years, but I remember I was preaching in London and I prayed for God's blessing on the land or the nation. And I remember him taking issue with that and saying we shouldn't pray that because uh, we don't deserve blessing. And my response to him was, when did we ever? Amen. If we deserve blessing, uh, it would be remarkable. But revival and blessing and all the things that God sends our way are because of his grace and mercy, not because we deserve it. But, and as I said to this man, the reason we ask for the blessing of God is because we need it. Amen. We need his grace. We need his mercy. So we didn't fall out. Just his his theology was wrong. Amen. Uh, So it says, You've been faithful to your land. You have brought back, thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. That's what we need, brothers and sisters, right now. We need to be brought back from captivity. And thank God we're seeing some of it. We're brought back from the captivity of the EU, EU Babylon. And that's happened in recent times. What a battle that was. But the oppression of dark forces continues 
Let's not pretend that everything is well in Britain. And some of the things in this psalm might sound like they're going well, but I believe that we have to be a people of faith, so we have to believe that God will bless us and do mighty things. That's why we pray, that's why we gather, and we pray for that every week. So, so let's believe that God will bring back the captivity of Scotland, of Britain, from dark forces, international and indeed in our midst. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people, thou hast covered all their sin. And in that word salah, which means stop and ponder about this. Now, this is more applicable in the Christian era than it was back in Old Testament times, because God has dealt with the sin problem through the crucified body of the Lord Jesus. All our sins were laid on him, all our darkness, all that is of the devil's doing in the lives of broken men and women. So the iniquities have been forgiven. He's covered all our sin by the blood of the Lamb. And you know, we've availed ourselves of that because we've turned to Christ, we've become Christians, but there's a whole world out there. There's, there's streets and streets of people out there that are sit, sitting watching Sunday morning television when they could be in here hearing the word of God and hearing that their sins have been dealt with and covered because guilt and shame will be upon many in these streets for the things that they've done, as it was on us. But thank God there's a cleansing. Thank God there's forgiveness. And not just forgiveness, but remission of sin. And that means it's a fancy word, a theological word, but what it means, he's obliterated and wiped out our sins. Not just covered them. Amen. But they are covered and dealt with by the blood. Now, thou hast taken away all thy wrath, thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Again, this is New Testament language because God is angry with sin, we know, but he has given us the ministry of reconciliation because Jesus took all our sins upon him and met the demands of God's wrath. Now, I know there's a debate in Christian circles about penal substitution and, and, and all of that. It's a, it's a long theological thing I won't go into. But, you know, it's all about... Did, did Jesus really take upon him God's wrath? Well, I believe the answer to that is yes. The Bible clearly teaches that. And so his fierce wrath was taken out of Jesus. And so now there is no barrier for any man or woman or child between themselves and God because forgiveness is extended, grace is released, mercy is offered, and Indeed, uh, the wrath has been taken away. It's been taken away and poured out on that cruel cross. There is a green hill far away, outside a city wall, where the dear Lord was crucified, who died to save us all. So it's available, friends. And if you're in this meeting today and you've not availed yourself of that, then simply turn to him and say, Be my Lord and Saviour, forgive me and come into my heart. Lord Jesus, it's a wonderful reality that he will. Amen. But that's our message for the folks out there. And would that they would come in and hear it. And they will. You know, David's had this vision. We were speaking about it this morning. Um, and as have others, of that street there being absolutely flooded with people trying to get in here. Amen. Amen. Now, I know in the past this church was filled. But I believe it's beyond even that. <coughs> They'll be queuing up. We might have to get loudspeaker system put out there to preach to them. Amen. Or we might have to say, you need to come back for, you know, 
the next service, which will be at one o'clock or something. But we're believing for things like that. Not just here, of course, but throughout the land. Then he says this, Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you draw out your anger to all generations? Remember, this is Old Testament. So God's anger towards sin was very keenly felt because they only had the blood of bulls and goats and so on to satisfy and appease the wrath of God. But now once for all, here at the end of time, a man has come, the Son of God, the Son of Man, to take upon him that dread punishment for sin. And of course, that's the Lord Jesus. We may not know, we cannot tell what pains, what griefs, what, what he had to bear on that horrible dark day and Calvary's cruel tree, but we know it was for us that he hung and suffered there. You know, that's a wonderful hymn. Um, we just sang it well. So it says here, and this is what we're praying, isn't it? That's why we pray this every single Sunday morning here. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Lord, send revival. Pour out of your spirit on all flesh here in this land that we would see once again the great things of God in the midst of this nation. Show us thy mercy, O Lord, grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. There's a lot in that little verse there. It says here, we will hear what God the Lord will say, what he will speak. And it says he will speak peace unto his people. You know, we have peace with God. And peace is extended to us. It's interesting that when we look at, in fact, let's just go there um, just now. Um, we'll come back to this, Psalm 85. If you're following your Bibles, you don't have to, but uh, I'm going to First Timothy chapter 2. And this is why we have this intercessory prayer every week. And we talk about this a lot, and we certainly do the prayers every week, but it's First Timothy chapter 2. This has been on my heart quite a bit recently. It's, it's, it's on my heart a lot anyway, but sometimes the Lord puts an emphasis on this. And the reason for it, why do we have these prayers for our queen, for our governments, for our people? Why do we pray this? Which says, I exhort therefore, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all, and that means priority, the priority prayer. The priority prayer is not for your Aunt Jeannie's sore toe or, you know, Uncle Tam's lumbago and all the wee things that we do pray for. And they're not, not wrong to pray for personal things. But the priority in prayer must be what God says it is, and he says here, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So that means pray for revival, pray for God to move. It, it means that we're not praying for us for him no more. Because our prayers tend to be insular at times, don't they? Well, I'll just pray for, you know, I, I know so-and-so's got a need, and, and we just limit ourselves to what we see as the needs of certain people. And we need to pray for these things. But the Lord wants us to pray his program. And that means all men. That God would move like the Abrahamic covenant. Remember the promise to Abraham. That in thee, Abraham, all nations, all families of the earth be blessed. So our prayers should cover not just 
everybody in our wee circle, but our prayers should cover everybody, full stop. The grand prayer. Now we mostly pray when we're interceding. We pray for people. We, we, we pray it for the British Isles normally, Scotland, Glasgow. We should be praying in wider circles, folks. For kings and all that are in authority. Why do we pray for kings and people in authority? Because they are the gatekeepers to the people. And if somebody in, who is the leader of multitudes or a nation turns to God, then that nation will turn to God. And so we see in the Old Testament the revivals that we see that took place in the Old Testament, they always took place under good kings of Judah. Josiah, Hezekiah, they were, they were dead kings. We spoke yesterday, David and I, about Manasseh, a wicked king of Judah. In fact, more wicked than all the kings of Israel. Because if you remember, Israel was split into two kingdoms in the Old Testament after Solomon messed up. And you had the northern house of Israel and the southern house of Judah. And it was Judah that retained the throne of David. And you would always expect good kings from the throne of David. Well, it didn't always happen. And Manasseh was the worst of the lot. But thankfully, the Bible records that in his later years, Manasseh's heart softened towards the Lord and turned to him. And God showed him grace and mercy. And isn't that a wonderful lesson for us that if we pray even for wicked rulers, for their hearts to turn, that God can answer those prayers and turn their hearts to him. And if, he won't, if they won't sorry, repent, then God can remove them, which is what we want to happen if they won't turn. But it says to pray for kings and all that in authority. And here's the reason. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Well, we're not living that now, are we? We're not leading a godly, honest, quiet, peaceable life. I mean in society. Amen? Our values, what we stand for, the spirit that we're about, is opposed to these things out there. The wickedness, the darkness, the depravity. We walk a different path because we're God's people. We are the sheep of his pasture. But he's saying here, if you pray for kings and governments and pray enough and pray adequately and pray effectively, you can change society. You can see peace and godliness and honesty be restored once more to the council, to business, to, to the culture, to society. And if you don't see that, the answer is very simple. We're not praying enough or we're not praying the right way. So our exhortation, in fact, our command by the Holy Ghost is to do that type of praying. Then it says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Well, what he's saying is when we pray the right way, we'll create a revival atmosphere and a culture where people will readily flock to the Lord and we'll see revival. Okay, so it's not just, oh yes, prayer brings revival. That's not the case. The right kind of praying brings revival. Amen. And that right kind of praying is to pray for kings and all their authority. We had a wonderful message yesterday arise Scotland from Bert McCaig on the importance of the kingdom uh, culture 
creating a kingdom culture, the importance of uh, having these, preaching the right message. It's not a church message we preach, it's the gospel of the kingdom, of God's rule in the affairs of men, and we need to see that as we have seen it once, or many times in the past, or several times, um, and we've mentioned John Knox, we saw it in, under his ministry in Scotland, the nation turned back to him. When John Knox uh, came back to Scotland for the last time, he was quite a well-travelled man, I think the last 10 years of his life, Scotland was in a bit of a mess, and there were very few who, who believed what John Knox believed. But in the following 10 years before his death, they saw a mighty move of God, and John Knox said, it was as if God rained men down upon us. The multiplication of those who turned to the Lord. And we need to see that in our day. So let's go back to Psalm 85. Show us thy mercy. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. Then it says, verse 9, Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. I love that little phrase. That glory may dwell in our land. That's what we're... All about, folks, that's what we're about in our church meetings here, in our Arise Scotland meetings. The, the ethos, if you want to call it that, is that glory may dwell in our land. The ethos of our church here, that glory may dwell in our land. That we would see the glory of God in the midst. And it's not just here in church. It's out in those streets, it's down at the city chambers, it's in every street, every home, every building, every, every blade of grass, every inch of ground. We've been hearing a lot about the COP26 that's coming up in Scotland, climate change, and saying, well, look at the streets of Glasgow. They're absolutely bogging, <laughs> to use that phrase. Rat-infested areas, Litter everywhere. In fact, our road in from Blockheim, uh, there was a piece done in the media a few weeks back about under the under the, the bridges of the M8. I mean, just tons and tons of debris, rubbish, fly tipping stuff. Thankfully, the council have finally done something about it. Uh, they've cleared it all away, lorry after lorry, and now they've fenced it off. People can't get in, which is a, a good thing. But there are still areas of Glasgow that are, to use a Glasgow phrase, minging. Amen? And we don't want to see that. And that's not glory, folks. And I'll tell you why that happens. And it's not being political. It happens for one reason. Bad government. Bad governance. Bad handling of the stewardship that these people have, the councils and the governments have of our land and of our streets. But we're not, not going to that too much, just to say we want to see the glory of God. It's interesting as well. I was reading a wee bit again. I like to read up in the history of Gangad because there are churches here. And there are, there are several interpretations of the term Gangad, and you might have one that's your favourite. But the two that are most prominent are Gangad means Garden of God. Okay, I think it's just because it's Gar, Gad, right? I don't know that that's the right one. But the other one is rough ground or wilderness. 
And it's interesting because I feel the Lord is saying to us that the, the difference, because both of them are the actual opposite of each other, aren't they? The garden of God is Eden. And Eden was a paradise. And yet the wilderness is the opposite, or rough ground is the opposite of that. And I feel the Lord is saying to us as a church, we decide whether Gamgad, or Royston, whatever you want to call it, is going to be a wilderness spiritually or the garden of God spiritually, the Eden, the paradise. And you know what will make the difference? Our prayers. And our standing for things. Things being, of course, the word of God, the truth of the gospel. Thank God that's what we do every Sunday. But let that be a challenge to all of us. Do we want this area that we live in and the church here and our witness and our testimony here, do we want it to be a barren land, of, of a wasteland, spiritually I'm speaking about? Or do we want it to be the Eden of God, the Garden of God, a heavenly place, if you like, where the will of God that's done in heaven is done here on earth? We have, I believe, that cha- cha- challenge and choice from the Lord. I was saying that I was looking at uh, the hills of Glasgow. And we have to remember, Glasgow was called, in fact, the word Glasgow means, in the Cumbric language, Green Place, or Dear Green Place. And that's because before all these streets, before all these factories, before all this infrastructure and roads and all of that, and motorways and so on, Glasgow was full of green, greenery. It was clearly a place that was like the garden of God. It was was a beautiful place. But just because we've built houses on it, just because we've built streets and roads and factories and industrial estates and so on, doesn't mean that it has to be a horrible place. It can still be an Eden. And I believe that's why we have that motto. Let Glasgow flourish by the preaching of thy word and the praising of thy name. In other words, whatever happens in Glasgow, let it always be a city set apart for the purpose of God. And that should be our vision. I don't know that there's a church in Glasgow, in the whole of Glasgow, that, that applies to more than our one, and, or, or a church that is more connected with Glasgow. And remember, of course, at one stage, the Foundry Boys had branches all throughout Glasgow. Many, many of them. So we are a Glasgow church, not just a, a local church here in Royston or Gamgad. Let's have that vision for our city. Amen? Let's, I know I say it a lot, but let's let the motto of Glasgow be precious to us in terms of how we see what we do here as a group of God's people and a church in the area. Mercy and truth are met together, verse 10, Psalm 85. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And look what it says here, verse 11. This, this feeds into what I was saying. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. As we know, in fact, foundry boys comes from the fact there were foundries in this area. Amen? Where, you know, there was, was it molten metal? That's, that's not very good for the earth. And there were chemical works, all types of things over the years, uh, a massive chimney, all these different things that speak of 
the industrial age. So this area was pounded. In fact, there's a, there's a joke about this area that, you know, don't dig too deep in your garden because you'll come across stuff, chemical waste, all of these things. Because of all that industrial activity that took, to, took place here. Okay? And as I said, one of the meanings of Gangad is rough ground. So, but this word here says, this, truth shall spring out of the earth. Amen? Amen? And I believe that we need to believe God for that to happen. You can believe it for your own, your own home. You can believe it for this church. But we need to believe it for the whole city. That truth shall spring out of the earth. You see, God released his word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the earth was formed by the words of his mouth. So I believe that even the, the Bible says it will come out of the earth. But it will, it will we, 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 and the climate change thing is all about men abusing the earth. Whether or not that, that's fake news or whatever, but there has been abuse of the earth. And probably in this place too. You know, a lot of chemicals released into the earth. But you know, the earth is made by God and we need to be believe that truth shall spring out of the earth. And as we stand here today and speak the word of God, I believe that the word of truth, God's word is truth, the Bible says, is being released in this place. And thank God in other places throughout the land today. Amen. That's why we have churches. That's why we don't... Church is not a Zoom meeting. Uh, Zoom meetings are for Zoomers. Amen. And we've already we've had too many Zoomers in the church. Not saying just here, but in other places. But the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Thank God that we have. Because you know, I, I have pastors telling me, and I'm going to close soon, folks. I have pastors telling me, we spoke about it yesterday, the average, listen to this, the average church, apparently, not every church, but the average across the nation, apparently, I'm told, and I've got one pastor who comes here uh, and who tells me it applies to his church, sadly, is that since this COVID business, the lockdown stuff started, the average loss to the church, churches, is two-thirds of people have not come back to church or are not coming back to church. So that many churches, only a third of those who went before lockdown are coming back to church. And for big churches, that's a disaster, isn't it? Because their, their halls will be empty and their takings will be down, so they may have to close. And thank God, and, and I'll say this, we have not had that problem here. We may not have a big congregation, but we haven't had that. We've, we've kept our numbers. In some cases, maybe even increased them some of our meetings. So praise God for that. But understand that we need to see a mighty move of God. And that's what this psalm is telling us here, reminding us of what God has done for us, but also exhorting us to believe him for revival. And then this verse 12 Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase, or the earth shall yield her increase. And that's the good thing, as I said, that's a good report today, that we haven't really lost numbers since before lockdown. Um, not, not really, pretty much staying the same. But our promise is, 
And, and I'm, I'm receiving this promise not just for our church here, but for the church in general. The Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. And that's speaking about harvest as well, isn't it? That we're going to see the harvest that we pray for every meeting. Then it says, righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps. This psalm, I encourage you folks to read it, Psalm 85, in your own prayer time, and understand this is a psalm for the nation, a message to us all, that God seeks to move mightily in the land, but we must cooperate with him, we must co-labor with him, we must be the people of God. When we say we are the people, we're not just talking about allegiance to a football club, which I know doesn't apply to us all anyway. Amen. So it's not about all, we are a, we are a people. That's not what we're saying. We are his people. And let us be his people, as the Bible says, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And boy, oh boy, is this generation crooked and perverse. Amen. So let's bow heads and pray and commit these things to the Lord before we close. Father, we thank you for your truth this morning. That you've been favourable to us, Lord, because we could have been wiped out many times for the wickedness that we have engaged in indulgent as a nation. But, Lord, you've shown mercy. And always, Father, point us to the cross where your wrath was poured out, where your anger was poured out. But, that, Lord, we thank you for, I thank you right now for those in this gathering who have turned to you and have said, I am part of that band called his people. I am part of that flock called his sheep. May we always be that, Lord, but help us to be effectively, to turn our nation round, to turn the leaders of our nation round, so that, Lord, when we meet here, we meet in a packed church, not just because that's a good thing, but because that is your heart's desire, that, Lord, you would give us increase, and not just here, but your church throughout the nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's close now, for folks.